If you love what we do, then please consider supporting Cryptfail on Patreon. Your support helps us grow and to create more content more often. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of our film review. And I am Ghost, and again, I am joined with Ace. Hey guys, what's up? It's Ace. Hope you had a lovely week and are enjoying your weekend. And this week's movie discussion is an older sci-fi film called Blade Runner. The movie is about a special ops policeman known as Blade Runner, played by Harrison Ford, who must pursue and try to terminate four replicants, basically androids, who steal a ship in space and have returned to Earth to find their creator. We thought this would be a good time to talk about this movie since its sequel is set to release sometime this year. Uh, note that this discussion will have spoilers, so please keep that in mind. Although the movie did come out in like 1986. <laughs> True. So you've had some time to watch it. True. The movie was taken in 1982 like Ghost was saying, but the story takes place 30 plus years later in 2019, which you know, now it's 2016, so it's kind of funny to watch this movie now. But it takes place in Los Angeles, California. Early on in the movie, we see like factories, many little buildings, flying cars, and there's a variety of different languages and cultures being present. And it really sets up the atmosphere and setting for this movie. What were your impressions of their take on the future, Ghost? I thought it was interesting in a couple of different things. One, I thought it was interesting that America looked very Asian. It had a very Ghost in the Shell sort of feel to it. Now, this probably predates Ghost in the Shell. I'm pretty sure it does. So it just has that, that sort of feel, though. Like uh, a lot of the advertisements were Asian. They had the geisha on the massive uh, uh, wall monitor that was on the side yeah. of the building. And things like the, the blimp and stuff like that. It had that complete mix of old with new. And that sort of was a theme all the way through the film. Yeah. So, somewhat like a steampunk setting. Too. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe not as much steam, but kind of the old mixed with the new. I really liked the setting, although I hope it doesn't come to pass because it did feel pretty crap as a place to live. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it had a lot of nuances. And one thing, like you were saying, with the marketplace and the, the factories and all that, that I really found just from a, a visual point of view from watching the film was the extras in Blade Runner do an amazing job of seeming natural. I mean, that's from a completely filmmaking side of things, but a lot of movies, when I watch them, yeah, okay, they seem to be okay, but they don't feel as natural. This feels very natural when I watch everyone walking down the street. They're wearing weird costumes and really unusual stuff, and they all own it. Every single person that's in those shots, no matter how ridiculous or, or you know they look, they all seem very natural and very much like, no, this is the world that we're living in. And I thought that part of it was really good. Yeah, because the fashion styles and the languages were all bizarre. You could, you, but you know, they were all kind of stacked up in that city, and you could really feel the immersion. And every building was pretty much like a high riser, and you could tell it was occupied by like many locals or whoever lived there at the time. Yes, yeah, ex exactly. It did definitely have that like cold, dark atmosphere, kind of like a slum in many poorer countries. You know, when you were saying that you don't really know if you want to live there, it, it did have that kind of vibe it was also funny to me that the prevailing culture seemed to be of asian nature yes <laughs> you know if you look at it from their perspective in 1982 you might kind of think chinese or china and india and you know the other asian countries have like over two billion people put together like total right so you would think that maybe that uh, those cultures would become dominant in the future. And this was a time before internet and social media and, you know, the world didn't really know how cultures would mix and mash. No, absolutely. 
So early on, we learn about the Voight-Kampff test, which is a series of questions that is used to distinguish a human being from a replicant. What are your thoughts on this test, Ghost? You know, I never really worried about it before. I've watched Blade Runner over the years from a kid till now. Uh, I've kept coming back to it at different points, and I really like it. I've always just watched it as a film, though. So this is the first time, because we're going to do this discussion, that I sat down and didn't watch it as just throwing it on and going, I'm going to watch it and enjoy it. That I'm actually going to really look at everything in this film closer. And in doing so, I realized that I think this test is really stupid. And why is that? Well, to start with, and this is a bit of a bit of a joke, but turtles and tortoises are not the same thing. If they were, they'd have the same name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, test, the test dude... It's like, I know he's just saying for, for Leon, but that's just the thing. But really, the actual test, the problem I have with it is sort of connected to something else. Now, I know that a lot of people have looked at the test and said, well, you know, this is one of those things designed to get behavioral responses and things like that. But my <clears throat> problem with all this is it seems a very convoluted way to figure out replicants. Yeah. Now... I'm saying that because I thought, why make them look like us? Yeah. Like, so much like us. <clears throat> now, okay, they might be going into the Hidden Valley thing if they didn't, but at the same time, this whole problem that they have is because they look like us. Yeah. And they've done such a in-depth job of it that they've had to use this test as the only way, unless they walk up and go, hey, I'm a replicant, to tell that they're a replicant. Yeah, yeah. It seems, it seems kind of silly for... For the future, you know, someone that's designed a android that acts just like a human being and for that to be the only way that they can recognize them. You think technologically they would be able to have some advancements that would help them, you know, recognize if it's an android or not an android. Mainly they probably will have body composition than us. Like, you know, most of us is made out of water and blood and other compounds while they probably have something else. So you could use like a scanner or something. Well, um, that's what I mean. What It seems a weird way of finding a replicant. The other thing was when Decker gets pulled in to take on the assignment, they show him pictures of the four replicants. When a dude goes to do the test, why not give him pictures of known replicant yeah to see how he reacts to that well no i mean if he sits there right if he goes to give the test to like leon and mm -hmm. he sits down and leon walks in and sits down and you know he sits and goes like you know you you've been you like your apartment and he looks at his thing and goes holy crap that's leon <laughs> before yeah. he before he even does the test you know just yeah. have the, yeah. the photos like I, I thought that was like why don't they because they did that they had photos the other thing that I thought about, which was connected to the test, but only sort of peripherally, but it was still connected, was they have a Blade Runner unit. Yeah. So how many of these replicants keep smuggling themselves onto Earth? Is it a common problem? <laughs> and if it is, what are they doing? Like, there seems to, I don't know, there's a, there's a problematic thing with the way this, this is. I, I think that in a way, it would have been better if he'd have been a really good cop at something and they said look we need you to hunt replicants not you're the best replicant hunter there is and you're part mm -hmm. of the blade runner unit that was for me that was the problem with that that so many replicants must be ending up on earth that they have an instant death penalty and that they have units that hunt them and that the only way of finding them is a test yeah my my main issue with the, the test was not even really how the test like deciphers whether they're or distinguishes whether they're human or android or replicant my problem was when you first meet the first replicant leon you already sort of notice that his character is somewhat strange like he's a strange guy right and then the second replicant that we see is rachel i don't know if you had this feeling but when i saw rachel she just 
like I got that replicant vibe for her immediately. I don't know if that's what the movie was trying to do or not trying to do, but I could just tell because I mean she was emotionless and she was she was very robotic in the first few scenes uh, where she meets Rick Decker, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like you can almost tell who's a replicant from who's a human just by the way they're acting. Which I know in the movie they say they shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to tell. But by the way the acting was done, it was it was pretty simple to tell who's the replicant. I think the hardest one might have been uh, the the third replicant who. Decker shot in the back several times while she was running. Zora. Yeah, very natural. Yeah, she she was probably the most natural to me. And and later on, Rachel also started to seem a bit more natural. But initially, she seemed very robotic to me. Yeah, see, Rachel's funny there. Because you're saying when she thought she was human, she was more robot. But when she knew she was robot, she became more human. <laughs> I guess that makes you relax, right? So <laughs> once you know what you are, then you just start you know not worrying about it i guess so i was wondering when like from that was was this you know there's a whole bunch of things of what this movie could be about but part of it i wondered was is this about robots in a way or just a reflection of us and in something like that with rachel being more robotic when she thinks she's human and then more human when she knows she's a robot or android or cyborg or whatever you want to mm-hmm. And I sometimes wonder, is, is is it meant to be a reflection of what, what is, is back to that sort of thing, is it, is it about life, just what it is to be human or what is it to be alive, the definition of life? Yeah, I, I think the movie is about that. Uh, it's, it's definitely about if you're going to create something that has high artificial intelligence, acts, looks, feels like a human being, then why shouldn't that robot feel like it deserves to live? at some point if if you did make it very intelligent so i do think it's a story about you know living and uh how much value there is to life so let's talk about the different characters and especially well let's first talk about the blade runner the man who really never missed his target apparently and has gone after countless replicants is that the vibe that you got from him throughout the movie? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the thing I had with Decker was, in a way, he's kind of two-dimensional. He felt very much to me like your standard noir cop. Almost, though, he felt more like a P.I. to me. Okay. Your, your noir P.I., you know, yeah. the it was raining in the City of Angels. The hard rain, the kind that slaps you in the face. That sort <laughs> of old sort of style, it felt like him. And, and in a way, he didn't have a lot of depth to him. You know, yeah. like, especially at the start. But there was, a, there was a few things connected to that, too, that, like, when he meets Brant, and Brant's talking to him about the replicants, he's telling him stuff that Decker would have to know. Yeah. Like you said, there's a built-in sale face, and Decker's like, what's that? And he said, four-year lifespan, pal. He'd know that. So I thought that was a bit funny. Yeah. But, yeah, he's very... Some people said he's robotic, but I don't think it was that. I just think that he was that hard-nosed cop who made a career of hunting replicants, and he'd had enough. There was definitely... I think he says to uh, Gaff at the start when they come, you know, like, you got the wrong guy, I'm retired, or something like that, he says. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like he's had a gutful of the whole thing, and he, he wanted out, and he got out in his mind what he was doing now i don't know i don't know if he was on a pension because there's nothing there's no sort of obviously it was not important to the story but he was just sort of bumming around until they sort of pull him back into this yeah i think they also kind of made him do the job by saying that you won't be a policeman uh, i didn't really understand i guess if he's not a policeman yeah if you're not a policeman you're a nobody yeah you're a nobody so i guess that scared him and so that 
he felt like coming back in. But the thing is, he said he retired, right? So yeah. I didn't really understand. If you're retired, you're not a policeman either. <laughs> no. So um, I guess you're a retired policeman, and maybe they would take out his history, basically his records. But Decker, in a way, was problematic for me this time round, watching mm -hmm. it more clinically. He's not the nicest person in the film. And what do you mean by that? Well, even when he he just does the thing with Rachel, the test. Yeah. And uh, Tyrell says, you know, can you can you please leave us, my dear? And he's like, she doesn't know. How does it not know what it is? He's already using very now terminology for a toaster. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, he's no longer seeing her as the person that she was a minute ago. And again, I was thinking that it, that's part of it too, because up until then, he was thinking of her as a person. Now yeah. he's thinking of her as a nit. Yeah. And the only thing that has changed is knowing that she's a replicant. Yes. So his attitude towards uh, people was pretty rough. When he takes them down, he's pretty brutal about it. Yeah, especially uh, Zora. That was a that was a difficult scene to watch because she was just running away. I mean, she didn't she wasn't even trying to put up a fight. And he puts that first round through her, and she falls over, yeah. and she gets up again, and he just he just shoots her again. He just takes a more methodical aim the second time. Yeah, and just drops her. I mean, the thing with Pris was. That was brutal too, and she's thrashing around on the on the ground after he shot her, and then he shoots her the second time. But yeah. that first with Zora, she was just totally trying to escape, and he just shot her like a rabid dog. Exactly. Uh, if if he did the same thing to Roy, I don't think I'd feel as bad because you know he was squishing people's heads and like poking out their eyeballs and stuff like that. So we we've seen some villainous acts from him, but Zora didn't. We didn't really see anything. No, she was, a, she was a dancer. She didn't seem to be involved in anything. She just wanted to live. We don't even completely know her connection to the... Like, she escaped with them, but after that point, we weren't quite sure, was she still moving with them? Had she tried to just... Yeah. She'd got a job. Yeah. I mean, so, so did Leon, but his was a bit different. Yeah, and even in the escape, they say that they killed many colonists on the other planet, the... Uh the other planet's base uh we don't know if she was a part of that or just part of the escape you know we don't yeah, know if exactly. she actually killed anyone to get out i i believe that probably roy leon and pris might have done more of the killing than the other mm. uh replicants yeah i agree and something that occurred to me in that when zora was killed i just started to think just now that decker was losing his humanity while Zora was trying to gain it. But I think that also comes with the job of the Blade Runner. He's just supposed to go out there and kill, not really ask questions. And that's kind of silly to say, but I think that's how they they train their Blade Runners. Basically, replicants, yeah, replicants are bad. You go out and you kill them. But also with Decker, when he did fall in love with Rachel, that love <laughs> scene was kind of violent and borderline rape. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I felt kind of uh, uncomfortable watching that scene because I was like, wait, what's going on here? It was not a tender moment at all. It was very controlling and very, yeah, it was definitely a, an unusual way of doing things. Yeah. I don't know if that's because he knew that she was a replicant at that point and, you know, replicants probably don't have relationships with human beings. They probably try to stay away from it. 
And so he's trying to tell her basically that it's it's fine, relax, uh, you can love me basically. And maybe that's why Decker was pushing so hard uh, for that to happen. But otherwise, that was kind of a weird scene. Because that leads me to a to a question, which was, do you think it was easier for him to love her knowing that she was a machine? And did he see her as one at that point? To me, if I was just to look at it, I would think it would be easier to love her not knowing she was a machine because then you don't have any worry. I mean, most human beings are not replicants. I guess in the Blade Runner's mind, you might think like everyone's a replicant, but most likely it would be easier if he didn't know that she was a machine because then then you're not worried. You, you think she's human and you fall in love with her. As a machine, he has some conflict in him, right? Uh, he knows that by loving her, he's doing something that's unconventional. So I think it would be harder. But what was your what was the second part to that question again? Uh, and did you think at that point he still saw her in like as a as a machine in the same way he did at the start when you know he says how does it not know what it is? Do you think he still feels exactly that way when he's looking at her? Yeah, this is the part of the story where it kind of humanizes replicants, where I think. You start to see that Blade Runner, who's the one that chases and kills these replicants, starts to actually get feelings for the one of the replicants. And, you know, basically at that point, it's almost like the replicant is a human. So why should you be chasing after them? That's that's the kind of question I think it feel, it raises up. So the other person that has an interesting relationship with Decker, and it's, it's a different kind of relationship, is Roy. Mm -hmm. So you want to talk a little bit about Roy and what, what you feel about his character? Roy is such a mixed bag, and I think they made one big mistake with him in the end. I think Roy steals the show. Yeah, I, I think he totally does. <laughs> I think, you know, like, Rutger Hauer's got known as doing a lot of sort of B-grade movies, and I think that it's unfair that people look at him like that because you look at what he did in Blade Runner, and I think he shows you his full range. There's moments when, when he tells pris that leon was killed his grief is really childlike pouty lips and and everything and it's not bad acting it's showing a level of emotional underdevelopment which comes yeah. i think with replicants that they don't have time and training and everything that yeah, humans get so that wasn't a badly acted scene i think it was a, a level of sort of just unbridled grief that children sort of have when when things happen so i thought that was interesting but he's very complex i think that was that was vital because we needed someone who was who was complex mm -hmm. so that it wasn't just there are a bunch of toasters that look like us you needed something to really push that question and of course that's also what rachel's doing i think too from a the different side of it but roy is the problem i had with roy was up until when, when he kills tyrell and sebastian up until then i felt i understood and sort of sided with him a little like and that's sort of connected when decker killed zora who did you feel more connected to in that scene uh zora yeah exactly she was a victim in that to me and it's kind of like a squirrel running away from a hawk or something like that <laughs> exactly and that's how i sort of felt with roy in a way it's like okay they said he'd done some terrible things but we hadn't yet we hadn't actually seen them so they that was sort of okay we know he'd done something but we didn't know exactly what as in in detail but what we saw of him was someone who wanted to live who was almost like someone who has cancer yeah they know that time is running out and 
he wants to live. And he's a tragic victim of circumstance. But the moment he kills Tyrell and Sebastian, especially Sebastian, who was the only one in the film that really sort of looked up to them and wanted to genuinely help them, although he was afraid at the end, he still genuinely wanted to help them. And in a way, because of his aging illness, he shared more in common with the replicants than they had with any other person around. So when he killed him, I thought that that moved him completely from being a tragic victim of circumstance to the villain. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure why they did that exactly. So I have somewhat of a different take on that, mainly because I, I try to put myself in that position, right? If you have, let's say, if you if you could meet your creator and you realize that they're you know, powerful enough or knowledgeable enough to change things within you that don't make sense, like, for example, the four-year lifespan. Mm-hmm. To humans, it makes sense because maybe, you know, you're saying that they could turn violent and so this is a safeguard mechanism. But to the replicant, they're not going to understand that. So you have this problem where you're like, my creator is intelligent and knowledgeable, yet he's programming flaws in me that don't really need to be there, right? And so I don't know if killing him was the best solution, but I think he understands that his life is not going to be there after a couple more days, I guess, in this case. Basically, it's that if I can't survive and I have no solution, I'm not going to let you do this to future replicants. I'm not going to I'm not going to let you create other androids that are going to have to suffer the same thing that I've suffered. And so that's really why I think he killed Tyrell. And so that's why I don't feel that he became a complete villain after that. But maybe that wasn't the smartest solution that he could have done. So the issue I have with that was Sebastian. That's what I was going to say. It was just Tyrell. If he went like, as you said, it's sort of like that that childlike emotion where if he felt that way, where it's like, you know, here's my creator and my creator Mm -hmm. isn't helping me. He's not prepared to help me. It's like he says, we made you as well as we could make you. And Roy says, but not to last. Yeah. So if he like loses, if that emotion just floods to the surface and he's just that moment of anger and with his height and strength that he has, that he kills Tyrell, I'd understand that. But he kills Sebastian, not in the rage, but as a very methodical thing. Oh, okay. I, I thought he killed him out of rage, but because I don't remember how they talked about it exactly but that's what i kind of assumed was that he probably killed sebastian out of rage because in the scene we don't see sebastian mm-hmm. die but he kills tyrell and sebastian's just standing there like oh my god you know total shock yeah and then he turns around and he looks at him and it's, it's basically like your turn yeah sort of yeah. thing and i think that was that was where the problem for me was was that i don't think they needed to kill sebastian i think it would have been better if they didn't yeah it would have it definitely would have made him feel more uh, human for sure uh, Sebastian was the one that I had problems with him killing as well. I just thought it was probably out of rage, which it would definitely make you a villain at that point because that's not something everyone would do. So you want to talk about the creator a little bit? Yeah, he was another one that I thought was a little two-dimensional in a way. Yeah. Like, there's like he's very intelligent. He has good lines. It's not about his acting. It's not about his lines. He's very cool. It was almost like he fell into a 
couple of cliches. I thought the chess game with Sebastian was a little cliche. Not that it was a nice touch and they use it as a way to gain entrance sort of thing. The problem I had with it though was just there was meant to be like a level of familiarity between Sebastian and Tyrell because they play this uh, many games not just one because he says I don't often beat him you know so they play a lot. Yeah. When it came to and it was late but it did feel though that he wouldn't normally meet him. Yeah. And I just thought that was a little odd. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the creator, I'm not too sure about his character. Uh, he was just, definitely playing God a lot. Yeah, he was playing God a lot. And honestly, from the beginning itself, like he seemed more villainous to me than anyone else. Like his character was mysterious. You don't know anything about him. You, you know, he's an owner of probably this trillion dollar company or whatever it is at the time and so for some reason i thought it, the movie was going to gravitate towards him at the end being sort of this villain that the blade runner is like oh replicants can actually be good and then go back and fight tyrell or something uh that's kind of how i thought the movie was going to unfold but it, it didn't so i felt like his character was not either used enough or not used properly i wasn't sure which one but his character was kind of odd to me but he he did, I guess, play his godlike role well. The you know the few lines that he had. Oh yeah, it was he was superbly acted. Uh, with Roy calling Tyrell father, do you think that's how he actually saw him? So this depends on kind of what you consider a father, right? I do feel like he did look at him as a father in the sense that who creates you is is your father, like. Regardless of your relationship with him, you have some kind of attachment to that person. It's almost like uh, where you're born, you usually have an attachment to that place, even if you've never lived there. Uh, so in that regard, I do think he looks at Adam as a father, like, you created me, why weren't you there for me, why are you against me, type of feeling. But I don't think he looks at him in any more of an emotional way than that. I don't think he's sentimental towards his uh, towards Tyrell at all. Let's talk about Sebastian. Okay. Did he strike you as kind of awkward? And what do I mean by this is not the way he acted, but he's a genetic engineer. And mm -hmm. the way they kind of portrayed him, I didn't really see him as being a, a smart guy. And I feel as a genetic engineer, you've got to be somewhat smart, right? And it just, it, it, he didn't give me that vibe at all. Uh, what do you think about that? I have trouble with Sebastian. He was very kind and very gentle, which in a way shows that not everything in the future is going to create people that are bitter, cynical, and completely unhappy. That's a good point. He did just sort of accepted his lot, and he was, I think, within the confines of his issues, he was happy. But he has a big sequence in the film, bigger than I think he needed for what they. And which which sequence was that? Basically, like we get a, we get more of his home life with Pris than I think really necessary to the story. And we do see yeah. Pris swap there too. We see her from going sort of like the his friend. Yeah, an innocent yeah. girl. That's his friend, yeah. And he didn't take advantage of her or try to take advantage of her. And mm. I don't know quite when he realised they were replicants. And if he realised she was before Roy arrived or not. But Yeah, I'm, pr I'm pretty sure he realised that she was before. But he didn't need the test. That's exactly what I was saying. I mean, they say it's because he's a genetic engineer, so he worked on them, you know, uh, and he kind of made who they are, really, like their personality and stuff. So... I could see him recognizing it faster, but I just feel like 
in general if i don't know how humans are at that point in the future maybe their personalities have all kind of became more robotic but i feel like you would be able to tell most of these replicants apart just by talking to them for a little while but as a as a person i liked him he was the most innocent person in the film in in many ways that's true he, he very much appreciated what they were he didn't treat yeah. them like a machine he was impressed when he said what which which generation are you said nexus 6 and he was like Ooh, wow you know you're cool man yeah i didn't actually think about that but he's the only one that kind of showed love towards the exactly that the others didn't and show. with his condition yeah. he shared more in common with them with the reduced lifespan than anyone else in the film which brings me back to why i think it was bad that roy kills him yeah because i think that was uh, that was brutal and again that was like the replicants being brutal rather than just decker yeah that's true because he's he's actually like 24 or 21 or something like that but his body's aging yeah exactly right? and both of us can answer this question but why do you think uh roy let decker live in the end that's really the crux of the film, because watching it this time round, the story itself wasn't as good, I think, as what I'd always remembered. And it's almost now, at least for this viewing, I don't know if, if I come back and just watch it again you know, in a year's time and just watch it and not analyse it, I might feel different. But this time round, it was definitely one of those films that is sort of mediocre in a way until the last minute where it changes everything and the movie's suddenly amazing because of everything that was before it led to this point. Yes, yes, I I totally agree with that. Uh, because before that, I just felt like there was not much going on. I mean, you you know, the replicants are kind of like trying to save themselves, save them their lives basically, and then you have Decker who's going after them, chasing them, shooting. You know, it's a bunch of action scenes and stuff like that. But the ending really is where you just feel everything. He's at the point where he could easily kill Decker, right? Like he does not just has to push off his fingers and the man is dead. I mean, he actually falls himself and, you know, Roy ends up catching him. And mm -hmm. that scene was very powerful because that's the first time you realize that, you know, you almost feel like Roy's the the good guy in all of this. And Decker's just kind of there as a secondary character. I think he let Decker live because at that point he knew he was going to die in a couple of minutes and he knew Decker was doing his job. It wasn't really a resentment towards replicants or that, you know, he didn't have a say in his creation, like putting that four-year uh, survival limit, right? So I think he lived to basically say that, you know, to show that replicants can be good. And that's, that's what was powerful about that ending was that you see something you would... That's a very human character to have, is to show compassion for another life form, even if it's trying to kill you. Kind of like how even if there's tigers or sharks or whatever it is, a lot of people do go hunting after these, but for the most part, we do save them. So I think that's a very human characteristic. See, I think that he, even when he stopped Decker mm -hmm. from falling, I still think he intended to kill him. Oh, really? I, I think he intended to kill him right up until almost the last moment. Not the exact last moment. Not like, oh, shit, I've just, I'm going to do, it's not like the villain where you go, I'm going to do the speech, oh, I've run out of time. I don't think, I don't think it was that. But I think he wanted Decker to understand. But in doing so, in explaining for the first time, I don't think he'd, he'd done this to Tyrell exactly. I mean, yeah, he said to Tyrell, I want to live. But, and he probably said to his the, the other replicants, Yeah. 
I want to live, don't you? But in that moment, after he'd thrown Decker against the wall, and he's, I think, the first time Roy is telling anyone exactly what's now going on in his head about wanting to live but not just saying like wanting to live is an abstract concept you know it's a a very direct just sort of going i want to live but what does that mean and i think this is the first time roy was actually explaining what it was that life was to him and when he was doing it the realization to him was i think that he didn't want to end that yeah yeah in the end he didn't want to end it for himself. He didn't want to end it for anybody else. And I think that yeah. that amazing line he had, I think, solidified yeah. for him the, the moment when he was going to let Decker live. When he said, "It's all those moments will be lost in time like tears in the rain. And I think in that moment he went, yeah, I, I, I don't, I will, if I kill you, I'm eradicating that. But I think he really did intend to kill him right up until near the last minute. And then it was just, I think, the realisation of what life meant to him suddenly became grander than his own. It became life. First, that's what I thought too, but I think because I was looking at it, you know, I watched it again, and it just, the part that happened just before that where uh, he grabs uh, Deckard's fingers and starts to break them, and he says, proud of yourself, little man. And then, (laughs) you know, he says... I thought you were supposed to be good. Aren't you the good man? Come on, Deckard, or whatever. And you could kind of tell that I thought he was just playing with him at first, but I think he wanted to teach him a lesson. Basically, that lesson is that how do you feel for once being the one that's chased, being the one that's scared? And I think that's why he didn't kill him initially. Because that moment where he grabs his hand, he could have been dead. Mm -hmm. Why does he give him his gun back? So I don't know if that changes between the director cuts and and stuff. That's where I kind of realized that I'm not sure if Roy wanted to kill Deckard to begin with. I think he just kind of wanted to teach him a lesson because he knew that he was going to die. But yeah, that was my take on the ending. But I do agree with you that the ending was probably the best part of the movie. Oh, for sure. I think it was. I think that's where it all comes together. This is a visual movie. It is. I mean, they, they, we, a lot of people talk about story, but really, it's a visual film. Mm-hmm. The perpetual night, I don't think we see any daylight scenes, really. It's raining most of the time. The sprawling yeah. city, the blimp, the massive ad wall with the geisha. Some of the shots had lighting like in Alien. Yeah. They did this really, there was one of the moments when they had the re- reflection in, in the eye, when it was really pronounced, They were, it was that was the shot. Even the test room with Leon at the start, it had the fan, the ceiling fan. In the future, they still had ceiling fans and had the smoke. It was that mix of old and new. The Tyrell building was a huge pyramid. Uh, the cop cars. I love the cop cars. The sounds, too, that they made. Tyrell's office, when he dimmed the... He said, let's... let's you know, he wanted to dim the lighting. And the way they did the... The shutters was just like a filter that came down over the windows. I thought that was amazing. Costumes like Rachel's was very 1920s. And even Decker's apartment felt 1920s to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't have said it better than you. Uh, it was really immersive. And that's all done from visuals and, and sound. And I don't really even think the music was what was the great part of this. You know, the sound. Uh, it was good. And it definitely set up the mood, but I actually just feel the sound effects of everything. Cars whizzing by, you know, when they open up the door to the 
to the apartment that's huge you can just kind of tell just by the way the door opens and the you know wind rushes in that this is actually a big hallway things like that you hear all kinds of languages being spoken while Deckard's moving through the city that kind of effect was was really well done in Blade Runner. Well, even the street speech, which was a mix, like you hear the different languages, but even the language they talked to each other was a mixture, I think he said, of English, Spanish, Japanese, and probably something else. Yeah, it was all thrown together. Yeah, it was, it was all kinds of languages. Yeah, which was interesting again. And so I totally agree with you. Like, this movie is just as good when it comes to... And I don't actually mean by like maybe how it visually looks compared to a Star Wars or Aliens because I feel like those uh, movies probably had a bigger budget to improve their graphics at the time. But as far as making it feel immersive to that setting, I think Blade Runner is you know equally as good as those movies oh absolutely i, I think they spend so much time on that and that's, that's what i mean like even with the extras you, you watch them they're they're all really natural or even down to when he takes i was watching this time around at the snake uh scene when he brings the scales to the chinese uh lady the old chinese lady mm-hmm. her partner smoking a pipe behind and even she doesn't say a word she's just watching but it felt a very natural watching it's sort of it's hard to explain. You sort of have to see it to sort of understand it. But it doesn't feel like an extra. It doesn't feel like action. They were very good, even incidental people, at feeling very much part of the world. And and I, I completely connect that to visuals because that that was the believability of the world was how well everyone was just sort of connected to it. Yeah, and that's one of the most important parts of sci-fi films to me is to make that setting feel believable. And, you know, really understand how huge that that setting is. And I love the camera scanning. I thought that was brilliant. What, what was that again? Oh, just, okay, in general. Okay. When he's like, yeah, you know, sector 13 to 42 enhanced. And it's like... Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. So this movie takes place in 2019. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're in 2016. Right. So what does that kind of tell you about, you know, how fast we're moving, but how fast maybe people thought we were going to move and you know clearly we did do some things better because you see their monitors and stuff they're still very old but then you see something like flying cars it's not something we we have yet right so what do you think about that um well we still have two years to screw everything up (laughs) true but yeah, I mean, I think that they, they definitely went for a, a noir-style futuristic element. I mean, they still, that's why even, although there was funky costumes and clothings on some people, other people had trench coats and yeah. fedoras and like uh, Zora's bar where, where she performed when Decker went there. That felt totally 1920s sort of gambling, speakeasy kind of, you know, yeah. sort of thing. It's interesting to see what they, I'm not, that's the thing. I don't think that this was necessarily a look at where they thought we were going compared to some other films. Other films, yeah, I definitely think they're trying to give us a message about if you stay on this road, this is what could happen. I don't think that's what they were doing. I think they were looking more at the human condition than they were at saying where we we're going to go. But it's definitely this this weird mix of some areas had lots of tech improvements, like Tyrell's massive pyramid for his uh, office and where he lived. That structure was incredible. Yeah. We don't have anything like that. So no, when it, yeah. architectural-wise, they've gone... Beyond us. Yeah, totally. But then they've also resorted to blimps, which yeah, we have them, but not like it was was in the in the film. And it's just always interesting to see what they kind of uh, you know advance and what they choose not to advance. And so, some of that is just 
Yeah. The street vendors. They were the same as today. Yeah. It's, it's, like when he bought the noodles. Yeah, them. it's just interesting. You would think it would be like, you know, how they show in movies nowadays where it's just like a robot or something and it just puts in a code and that food just randomly gets made. I just thought it was interesting that the movie takes place in 2019. Like what people sort of thought might be the setting in 40 years or 45 years or whatever. They didn't really have cell phones that I can remember. No, they had like walkie-talkies in the movie as far as I remember, but yeah. that's it. <laughs> so they had, they had, they didn't think communication was going to improve a great deal. Yeah, yeah it's kind of, that, that's the stuff that's interesting to look at. Music, I just want to say quickly on music. I love the music. I'm a fan of Vangelis though. Vangelis does all synth stuff. That's what he, that's his thing. Some of his albums are amazing. He did Cosmos. If you ever see the original one, yeah. one with Carl Sagan, he did some of the music for that. He does fantastic, dreamy, psychedelic soundtracks. Yeah. I was amazed, though, that he did Blade Runner. Why is that? Because he's not a lot of like movie makers' first pick to begin with. He has a very specific sound. And I was amazed that they went with him and amazed that overall I thought it worked as well as it did. Did Cosmos come out first or did Blade Runner come out first? Do you know? No, I think Blade Runner. Blade Runner? I think Blade Runner okay, came yeah. out first. Because the music felt kind of, uh, certain parts of it felt kind of the same. So I thought that maybe that's why they picked him up, but maybe it was the other way around. You know, maybe that's why Cosmos picked him up. During Zora's death, when they slowed down the music and his soundtrack was slow and dreamy and almost, yeah, just like you're in a dream when he was killing her. Uh, there's, there's so many choices musically like that in the film that I was like, wow, that's really that's really interesting. It stood out to me more this time around, listening, yeah. than it had before. Yeah, it was my first time watching the movie, actually. So I think, although I paid attention to the music, it was just there enough to make me feel the atmosphere of what was going on or the mood of what was going on. So I think the music was very well done because I didn't, think it was bad or didn't hear over action scenes or something like that so but i think um in closing i think it's a very cool film when i watched the first hour of this film i wasn't so impressed like so as the first hour went i was enjoying it but i was also thinking this is kind of slow there's kind of things that i didn't like in it but the second half of the film is where i think it did really well because that's where you start to see the questioning that you talk about Roy's yeah, interaction absolutely. with Tyrell, Roy's interaction with Decker, Decker's interaction with Rachel. Those are the things that made the movie great. But I do have one final question for you. Mm -hmm. Who was your favorite character? Oh man, honestly, that question is hard. I'm not sure. Uh, it would have to be. It would either have to be Roy or maybe even certain scenes with Rachel. But I, I think I would. Mm. I would go with Roy because he's the one that is kind of what they described a replicant to be, kind of violent. And, you know, looking for answers, searching, and that's why he came to Earth, but then starting to realize that maybe he was a victim and, you know, maybe there is a good side to him. So I think Roy would probably be my favorite character. I think maybe that's what some people would choose, but I'm, I'm not sure. I think, I think it's a pretty safe bet, I think, for a lot of people, Roy would. Yeah. It's just he had the most emotional scenes, I guess, and also he spoke a lot more decker didn't actually speak too much in this movie uh he didn't have so many lines I mean, early on he kind of did but towards the end he was just running away or in action scenes stuff like that so see i went with a minor character mm -hmm. my favorite character was gaff gaff <laughs> why is that absolutely gaff was quirky as all hell mm -hmm. to start with he speaks in street speech 
Yeah. And that first, even the first time when he meets Decker, and we have the Chinese noodle maker having to translate, which was funny. Yeah. And I love those little moments. How he looked. He had the fedora. He had the cane. He had the trench coat. He had the bow tie because bow ties are cool. He (laughs) felt very much like a noir character. And I really liked how he was. But then you had these little moments that I just loved. Like they're having this really important scene between Brandt and Decker where he's getting pulled back in. And he's like, you know, that, that was that whole, like, if you're not a cop, you're not anyone. Yeah. And... In the middle of that, while Decker's going through this whole thing about, look, I don't want to do this, and Brant's like, well, you're going to do it. And they're having this. You see Gaff look over, and it looks like there's that piece of paper that comes from the top of cigarette packets. And he just takes it and makes a chicken <laughs> out of the origami. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what I like. He, he, did, like, he wasn't even giving a crap anymore about this conversation. Yeah, yeah. He was like, I'm, I'm done with you people. And the fact that he had the street speech, how he looked, the fact that he made origami, you know, I loved all those little quirks that were in his character. But then at the end, when after it was all over and Decker like comes outside of his apartment and he's they're getting ready to, you know, he's like going to try to smuggle her away in that. And he looks down and he sees, I think it was the unicorn origami yeah. on the ground. The message was Gaff knows. Yeah. He knows what she is and he knows where she is. And at that moment, he could have caused all sorts of problems. Yeah. But then you get that. Then when he does see Gaff waiting further down, and he says it's it's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? And he leaves. And I thought there's a lot of depth in this this minor character. Yeah, he was chosen for a few important lines everywhere. For me, I've never understood why. And I'm not saying that it's good or bad, but he sort of, or what changed for him? Maybe he changed too. Yeah. Because he was always a little bit abrupt with Decker. Almost like, I'm having to run around behind you, buddy. Yeah. Brant keeps sending me to catch up to you. And it almost felt like there was a sort of resentment there. But then at the end, it's like, look, I know what she is. And I know what you're doing. Yeah. But I'm not going to stop you. Yeah. And I, I really like the sort of depth and everything that came from him. So although he's a minor character, I feel he was a lot more deeper in a way than some of the other characters. I thought he was deeper in a way than like Tyrell was. Mm-hmm. But I like quirky characters. <laughs> yeah, I would buy this film. I don't think... It's definitely a movie I would watch more than once. And for that reason, I would say I would buy it. It's a good film. Yeah, definitely. I, I bought it. I think it's a great film to have. If you're a sci-fi buff, uh, it's almost would be one of those ones if you said what should every sci-fi fan have on their shelf you're going to have you know there's going to be a collection of movies and this is going to be one of them this in 2001 if you don't have those two there's something wrong but no definitely a buy absolutely a buy and especially now you can get it reasonably cheap and with the new one coming later this year uh there's a lot of uh, hopes being put on that one that it's going to live up to the expectations being so long from the the original yeah, and I believe that one takes place in 2049 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Harrison right? Ford's in it, but I don't think he's going to have a huge part. It definitely seems to feel more about the the younger characters. Mm. I'm looking forward to that movie. I think it'll be pretty cool. Hopefully, I- I'm kind of curious to see what the story's going to be about, because uh, it's still called Blade Runner, so... And I guess that's to make it feel like it's the sequel, but I'm curious to see, is it going to be another story about Blade Runners chasing replicants? Yeah, I'm again? sort of hoping it's not. Yeah, I-, I hope it's a little bit different, whatever it is. Yeah, because what could they tell that didn't get covered so well in the end in the first one? Yeah, because otherwise I would just call it Blade Runner and it'd be the remake, yeah. I guess, of the original. 
So there must be some story that's separate to the original. But if you haven't seen this and you were thinking of seeing it, totally get your hands on this one. So I think that's it. And thank you for joining us as we try to work out what we're going to watch for next week.